0: Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen-Biggs. Danny Merang is out ill tonight. Those of you who watch The Outsiders may know that there has been something going around. So I called in somebody else to help me out tonight. And actually, this is somebody who I am so happy to be talking to right now, considering what's going on with the Blazers. I am happy to welcome Blazer's Edge Managing Editor Dave Deckard to the show tonight.
1: Yes, well I mean I'll try to fill in for Dan. I know you only want to go like 30 to 40 minutes though that's about one extended thought for Mr. meringue so uh, <laughs> I will I will try to duplicate that I'm not sure I'm up to it.
0: you know if I, if we get you fired up enough, I am fully um, fully believe that you could also carry out some quite lengthy tirades <laughs> if, if worked up
1: to the right point. Well, that's your job then get me going. <laughs>
0: Well, the thing that really has been on the mind of all the Trailblazer fans that I know today, anyway, and yesterday is CJ McCollum. After an incredibly lucky streak of no real serious injuries on Saturday night in the game against San Antonio, we had a heart stopping moment where CJ went down. Now, were you watching the game when it happened, Dave? I was and what did you think as it happened?
1: Well, it's never nice to see your guy go off the court on the shoulders of a couple other players. I was slightly encouraged that he was at least hobbling and not being carried, because that would bring up specters of uh, Greg Oden and Sam Bowie. And, you know, you you never want to see anybody leave the court without their sneakers touching it. CJ was at least hobbling, so I was cautiously hopeful. Of course, when when it's a sprain or something like that, they usually announce it within an hour. When that didn't happen, you knew it was a little more serious. Uh, but as far as serious things go, the Blazers did all right and CJ did all right. Uh, they're going to reexamine him in the infamous one week or two weeks. That doesn't mean he's going to be back in that span. But the Blazers have about a month before the playoffs begin. You'd like to get him back in uniform and on the floor probably the last week, maybe two, if you can manage it before the postseason, just to get him some reps and get the team used to playing with him again. But as long as he's back by that first round series, they're going to be okay.
0: Well, from your mouth to God's ears, for me, uh, as a fan watching it happen, my immediate reaction was, no, 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 this can't be happening, this can't be happening, which is kind of funny because, like, Every other game, Yusuf Nurkic goes down on the ground being hit in the face, and I'm like, ah, he's fine.
1: But yeah, but the- Nurkic doesn't shoot with his face.
0: <laughs> right. Well, just it was just so concerning because it's CJ, and he has been so healthy for the last four years. Um, on ESPN, I read that CJ has played 309 of 315 games over the last four years. So that's a pretty impressive run. And, you know, we know CJ takes such good care of himself. I mean, they all do. But, you know, CJ talks about the things that he does on his podcast, you know, with his yoga and all his, you know, his – he just knows himself really, really, really well. So in that sense, I was also – while I was super worried about him and I was thinking, oh, gosh, CJ never goes down if CJ goes down. But I also realized that he's probably – already in like you know because of his flexibility he's probably in pretty good shape and I know that it's late in the season and it seems like of all the players like the guys who take care of themselves and who are super meticulous about it it seems like he's one of the guys who may be in the in better shape in that department. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah it does help to have flexibility. It's an underrated aspect I think obviously Core strength plays into that, too, but not with the leg that like CJ had. But those are two attributes that you kind of want. You want to have a solid midsection and you want to be flexible all around because you're going to take bumps and you're going to take falls. And you, being brittle is one of the worst things that can happen to you on the court. CJ isn't. Um, obviously, no one – you don't want any torque in the knee ever. But uh, yeah, and who knows whether he does knee yoga or not, but whatever he's doing, uh, hopefully that that helped. And, And again, of all the things that can happen to a knee, a strain is among the better ones. I mean, ACL, MCL, or just a dislocation. You don't want any of that because, oh boy, that knee never stops, right? I mean, obviously the ankle too, but the knee, every step, everything you do and coming down on, you know, off of a jump shot or a dunk, that's the joint that gets worked. So Look, you don't want anything to ever happen to someone's knee, but if if it's a strain, it's if it's as reported bullet dodged, okay? And I think the Blazers take it and move on. Uh, They're not the only ones this is happening to. Dante Exum has had it worse in Utah. Um, Malcolm Brogdon in Milwaukee just went down. Hopefully he'll be back in a couple weeks. Kevin Durant is out in Golden State. The Blazers are not the only one this has happened to. Uh, It can be overcome as long as he's back. They just need him back before the playoffs. Otherwise, they're going to get exposed.
0: So now how did you feel about... I don't know. Did you have time to watch the rest of the game or were you monitoring and writing after it happened? Were you able to watch what played out afterwards? It was some of
1: both. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's seldom indicative what happens in the minutes after the injury happens because everybody is in weird mode. I mean, Damian Lillard uh, took over right away, which is appropriate, obviously. And then the team kind of adjusts from there. But in the game itself, you're in one mode. You prepped in a certain way the injury happening isn't going to change that preparation or game style radically. I mean, and if it does, it's going to be ad-libbed, like Lillard taking over. What you really want to watch is what happens in, you know, game two or three without him, because then they'll have had time to prepare. Then you'll see whether they're effective. And around game three, you start to see, okay, they've made the adjustments. The opponent has made adjustments to their adjustments. How is this going to work out?
0: I... Felt like the rest of that game was extremely emotional. Partly I was emotional, (laughs) but I felt like the Blazers were playing. I mean, I Damian Lillard was playing so hard. That was the closest I've ever seen him to just being a fury on the court. I mean, in terms of just the way that he attacked everything. And even, you know, Jake, I could see him like, you know, it's so unfortunate that he had that uh, foul. He got called for that foul and that three and Bertrand's got those three uh, free throws because he was he just looked to me so working so hard on that, And they just all like it just to me was indicative of. It showed the way that, you know, the closeness that everybody talks about. Like, I really felt it it was palpable at that point. <laughs> I, I felt like when CJ went down, I mean, you know, the the guys on the bench, you could see them. They were into the game, but then they would show Myers Leonard and he looked a little pale and sick, like towards the end of the game. Like thinking about, I guess, you know, his guy, the guy that he's been with there for for so long. I just I felt like. I wasn't really looking to see how they adjusted to the basketball at that moment, but seeing how they came together emotionally to get through that was, um, it was, it was something. I mean, it was just really something to behold, I thought.
1: Sure. um, Everybody's going to scramble when that happens, obviously. But again, you want to see how they're going to adjust. Not just in terms of wins and losses, although they need enough of those to stay in reasonable seating position. You don't want to drop to eight and get the Warriors in the first round. That would be a huge disappointment. But as long as they can stay seven or above... Look, they're they're four right now. Uh, they've been flirting with five, and they're not far away from six. So even if CJ were healthy, there's no guarantee they'd get home court in any round, even the first. So it's not a huge disappointment if they get, say, a seventh seed if they lose some games. Now, I'm not saying they're going to either. I think they're fairly well equipped to deal with this in the short term. But let's just say, if, if seventh is the worst that happens, they did okay. But this is extended practice. For working different styles that you might have to adjust to in the playoffs. It's not just getting Rodney Hood and Evan Turner some more reps or Seth Curry, all of which I think is going to happen, but can you really ride the big men more than you have? Can you take Nurkic and can you take Cantor and say, okay, you've been kind of number three or two and a half. We're now going to make you solid option number two. And we're going to ride you for a while along with Damian. And let's see if you can produce when the opponent is ready for you. If that can happen, and if they can figure out a way to work that, that actually helps them in the postseason because opponents are going to adjust to their normal attack. So you want to do a trial run here. You don't want Things to fall apart, and you don't want things to fail. You just want to cautiously probe and see where you can get some extra points, run some different plays, and then adapt and adopt as you take that into the postseason. Hopefully, when CJ comes back,
0: so that's a great place for us to start with. You know, Stotts was asked in the locker room afterwards, you know, what are you going to do, and he said, "Well, we're going to adjust." So. You talked about one adjustment being that okay, the the number two guy or the assumed number two guy is no longer in the lineup for a while, and so they're you know elevating or that's like okay Nurkic, it's definitely you now. (laughs) But back to back it up a sec. Who do you think starts for CJ?
1: My guess is it's going to be Rodney Hood Mm -hmm. because Rodney can do a few things that CJ does. Now, nobody's going to replace CJ's 21 points. You can forget that. Nobody's going to replace CJ's mid-range game. And by the way, no one off the bench is going to be that great of a defender. So this, this is not good for the Blazers in that sense. But can they compensate? I think they can because... Hood can handle the ball. He can shoot off the dribble. He can also shoot the spot up three. So you can let him uh, run off the pick himself. You can use him on the weak side. You can use him as a ball handler, and you can use him catching from the centers. So all those options need to be live for for the offense to work, and Hood ticks all of those off. Evan Turner does not. Uh, Seth Curry kind of does. He's the other guy I think could really benefit from this. So I think what happens probably for my money is Hood slides into the starting position. Turner now gets more backup minutes at small forward. uh, And Curry might also get some shooting guard minutes, some time with Damian Lillard, because he can at least take the ball handling and three point shooting boxes. And I think in that amalgam, the Blazers have enough to get by, even if it's not as good as CJ. So I think they're well set up there. I'm just curious to see what happens when there's one less distraction on the court for the defense, when they can really zero in on Lillard and zero in on the centers, much as the Pelicans did last season. If they run up against a couple teams that can do that, how are the Blazers going to fare now with this new lineup?
0: Well, so Damian talked about how he had adjusted to the double team he um uh, i think it was a i think it was an article by jason quick but he talked about how all summer long he thought about that double team and he thought about how he was going to react to that double team and he this is what he decided that he was going to do is he was going to attack it so if they were going to attack him he was going to ha- attack them first so that they would be caught off guard by that so does that change now that he doesn't have CJ along in you know along and beside him
1: what do you think? I think it I think it intensifies it because now he's got to score every night obviously he already does but there's more pressure on Dame which will be interesting to see whether that pressure on Lillard which It's not going to be playoff-like because they don't have all day to think about him. The regular season and the playoffs are much, much different, as the Blazers have found out. But it will sort of simulate the playoffs because every opposing team now knows that there's one point they've got to stop first, and that's Lillard. And then they also watch the centers. They don't have to worry about McCollum, so he's going to get more pressure. Here's the big question. Does he handle that pressure by becoming a scoring and shooting machine, which is good in a sense, but does it end up freezing out his teammates and radically changing the way the Blazers play? If that's so, that's not a good sign because when that happens in the playoffs, now all of a sudden the vaunted depth and the unpredictability, the multi-point offense goes away and it's all about Dame again and that can be, if not shut down, at least mitigated by the defense and they figure, well, Dame's going to score 30 or, or take 30 shots and we're still going to win. But if Lillard can shoulder some of that offensive burden, be much more of an attacker than he was when CJ was beside him, but also distribute the ball and you see Nurkic and you see Cantor and you see Hood getting some shots and you see Curry doing well to the extent he's playing with Damian, uh, then all of a sudden you go, hey, the Blazers can adjust and that would be a really good sign.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I was so excited about right before CJ went down was that other players on the team were doing what Damian used to have to do all by himself. You know, including CJ cuz CJ didn't have the easiest start to this year, but you know, he'd really come on lately, but in addition to that, we were getting regular uh, the Blazers are getting regular produ- production from Nurk. Cantor is kind of off and on, but he's had more nights than not where he was scoring in double figures. Uh, you know, versus the Clippers, Cantor had 14, Curry had 10 against the Pelicans. Hood had 17, Cantor had 17, Collins had 12. It was so exciting to see other players finally getting into double figures because it seems like it had been so long besides anybody besides Damon CJ had been doing that. How does that change in now um does it get harder i mean i guess how does every we talked a little bit about how damien changes but how does everybody else adjust
1: well i think the big thing is you got to make your open shots because they're going to go at lillard hard but that's been thing for two
0: years (laughs) well i know they haven't done it for two years how are they going to do it now
1: Ah. well yeah exactly and see this is (laughs) an issue because if there is an issue it is this that you always had somebody to bail you out, right? I mean, Lillard is the obvious guy, but CJ did his share of that too. I mean, how many games in the last few weeks have we seen in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, the Blazers aren't doing so well, and all of a sudden CJ pops 15 points in, right? So he's been their kind of safety valve there. They don't have that now. So they don't have the freedom to miss those open threes, and that's where they're going to get exposed if they get exposed. It's going to be in the same places it has been in past playoff battles. It's going to be al Minu Aminu on the perimeter, which a couple years ago he did not do well at all. Last year I think he did pretty well. It didn't end up mattering a whole lot, but at least he was there. He needs to be there again. It's going to be Mo Harkless. It's going to be Hood. It's going to be Curry. And those guys are going to see the ball and chance. Chances to shoot because the opponent is going to try to cut the head off of the Blazers attack and keep a backstop back there to rebound and keep the centers out of the middle. That's going to leave the wings open. Those players need to earn their money now. And if they can't do that, that also is a bad sign for the playoffs. But again, will they get the chance? I mean, there is a possibility that you just see Lillard go crazy trying to milk every win. Um, I I again I wouldn't necessarily object to that. He needs to do some of that, but I really, really want to see the ball in the hands of the wings. I want to see them open, and I want to see them finally hit shots. That will be the best sign possible that not only they can survive this CJ absence, but that they can prosper when he comes back in the postseason.
0: So we're we're looking at at least a week, um, maybe more that CJ is is gonna be gone. What do you think Dame can take from um, I mean, I'm kind of excited about seeing him for a little while anyway, play alongside a much l- taller uh, larger, longer guy in Rodney Hood. Um, you know, what kind of a difference do you think they could make um, learning how to play together?
1: Well, first of all, if it needs to be more than a week, that's fine. I don't think the Blazers need him back until maybe the Nuggets. I mean, they need him. They need him him back when he can come back. Right. That's fine. But I'm saying like two weeks isn't too bad. Yeah. There's zero reason to push him because what do you, you might slip or gain a spot in the standings. It's not going to change your overall fate. If you bring him back too soon and he can't run in the postseason, they are done. Uh, The opponent will simply exploit the uh, defensive deficiencies at small forward and at shooting guard, and they won't have enough scoring to make it up. It's over. So you need CJ to be back and to be reasonably healthy. And as long as that takes, you wait until that happens. So that's point number one. Point number two. What what can Damien do? Is that what you asked there?
0: Well, I'm just I'm curious to think how it is going to be with him regularly playing alongside a much longer yeah. shooting guard.
1: Okay, but length. I, mean, I don't, want to, say length, I don't want to say length doesn't matter, but as you pointed out, defense is where it often matters, and Hood's not a good defender. I mean, it just he's he's not better than CJ. Uh, so I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference defensively. That's still a hole there. And this is the problem with CJ being out, especially if it happens in the playoffs is that the the way the Blazers make up that defensive deficiency is they score, right? They, they outscore their opponent they're not going to be able to do that consistently without CJ's points uh, on the floor. So uh, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. I think, if anything, you'll probably see some awkwardness. I think you'll see who would get more – bought up shots. And again, he better hit them. He'll get a, a few dribble looks as well, but he's not going to get all of CJ shots. I think those are going to be distributed to other players. And I don't think he's going to be any better defender than McCollum was. In fact, he might be worse because he's just not familiar playing with that lineup. So I don't think that I, I really don't think his length is going to make a difference. And I don't think that transition is going to make that much of a difference.
0: So how do you see things changing, if at all, for Harkless and Layman, because we're talking. I, I also think that it's probably Hood who's going to be slotted into that, but uh, perhaps it's possible that Layman comes in or that Layman gets more minutes. What are your thoughts on uh, anything that he might be doing to adapt?
1: Right. I mean, look, you you have some muddle with the shooting guard and small forward positions for the Blazers. Uh, other than CJ, no one has a really firm lock on their position or their minutes. So CJ's absence is going to open up opportunities. And again, I think simply for them, it's the shooting. When Jake and when Mo get opportunities, and they're going to get more shots and they're going to get open shots. They need to hit them. And if they can hit them, they can stay on the floor because their defense is, if not fantastic. I think Mo is more than adequate most nights and Jake is adequate sometimes, but look, the Blazers don't have better alternatives defensively, so as long as they can hit their shots, they're going to stay there. The minute they start missing consistently, I would imagine they're going to get pulled for someone else, uh, for either each other, or you you jimmy a three-guard lineup of Curry and Lillard and Hood, or whatever happens, so that scoring flow keeps going, because the Blazers are not going to be able to do without it.
0: One thing that I have noticed recently is that with Harkless struggling to shoot threes, he's become real efficient at the rim. But as they say in the NBA, three points are more valuable than two. Also, a three-point shooter spreads the floor and a two-point shooter doesn't spread the floor uh how do you see are there any techniques to help them not get crowded or is it just go down to all they have to do is hit their threes
1: well look those are opportunity shots for mo and they're great when they happen but this is not something that you can plan for because a you need to keep your centers in there for offensive rebounds or nothing else but you also want your centers to handle the ball more with cj out so you can't plan for mo to take up space in there and b I think the opponent will be comfortable with Mo scoring because they know that he's not going to break their backs. They're going to go, yeah, you keep doing that. That means nobody else, even if he makes the shot, nobody else is touching the ball. And uh, hey, you know, congratulations, 14 points, golf clap, we still won. So, uh, look, I, th- I think, obviously, Mo takes his opportunity drives. That doesn't change. I don't think there's any way the Blazers use him as a primary uh, attack weapon. Uh, and I think that, again, his money is made simply at the three-point arc. If he can hit those, he can stay. If not, he has to go.
0: Boy, it is really time for them to start <laughs> hitting their threes. I don't know.
1: They, I they, have... But they have to because look, look, where, look where the Blazers have to live now. They need to live with Nurkic handling the ball and not only being able to score it, but he has to have some passing lanes open because you cannot. The other thing that will kill the Blazers offense is if it gets slow. And that's one of the nice things about CJ and Dame. It's not that they always shoot quickly, but they can hit in an instant. You never know when you're about half a second away from them draining a shot. Nurkic is not that way. And if you have to feed Nurkic in the post and it's crowded in there, he's going to take a lot of time and you're going to get a lot of turnovers. And both of those things will kill the offense. So there has to be some sense of that floor being spread, not just so Nurk can score, but so Nurk can operate without taking eight seconds off the clock and then either getting stripped or making a bad pass.
0: Of of all the players, who do you think would has the most has the best opportunity to really like stand out at this point in this, you know, with CJ
1: out. I mean, Hood's the obvious one, but I I really think Curry uh, will get more of a shot. I think those two you look at first. I I wanted to say Evan Turner, except there I don't think Evan Turner can slide into the starting slot. Anymore. I think that the Blazers simply play a different way with him on the floor, and it works, and that is basically with him handling the ball a lot and creating opportunities. Also, he's a slower scorer and likes to move in the post, and that's not fantastic, actually, with their new center lineup either off the bench or starting but he can do more of it off the bench I don't I don't I think he might get some more minutes he might get some more touches but I don't see this as he steps in and saves the day Uh, I think Nurkic is the other guy obviously if we said 12 times it's really this is a big opportunity for him and it's less about him scoring more and more about him being able to keep the offense flowing when he touches the ball because they need him to touch the ball
0: And with somebody else having to come from the bench into the starting lineup, how does that affect
1: the bench players that are left over? I don't think it does at this point. I don't think that happens, actually. Because some people are talking about, well, you know, does does Simons get to play? Does Trent get to play? If so, I believe it'll be incidental. I think the players who were already playing are going to eat up most of those minutes. I don't think you throw a new guy in here. I I think you, you... go to guys like Curry and Hood and say, you've been getting X minutes, now you're going to get X plus 33%. And uh, that's the way it goes. If anybody gets more, it, it's going to be Turner. Uh, and, and obviously you can switch the pow- the small forwards in there too. Lehman and Harkless might get more, but it's not – you're not going to see someone come deep off the bench, I don't think, and all of a sudden absorb more minutes. That would have happened if, – if this had happened in November, sure. But this is April and March. You're going for the playoff drive. I think you go with the veterans or at least the guys who are experienced in your lineup, and you don't try something new.
0: It's a reshuffling of the, of the current nine- or ten-man
1: rotation. Yeah, I mean because, look, again, you're practicing for the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to – in the playoffs, unless something disastrous happens, you're not going to throw Gary Trent out there. I mean, that's it's just beyond the realm of possibility as far as I can see. So why would you throw him out there now and kind of disrupt the rhythm and also uh, be playing in a style that you can't ad- – adopt a month from now you you simply go all right i might need curry in the playoffs i might need curry to do a lot of things in the playoffs so here you go seth here's your chance to do a lot of things right now let's see what you got
0: it's funny because that all makes so much sense and they always do what doesn't make any sense to us
1: (laughs) well i mean that is that is possible but look seriously Myers Leonard has had a good season, but he's not going to be able to make up what needs to be made up here. Simons and Trent, can you see? I mean, Lillard's trying to get in a groove, right? And they care about winning games. Can you see Lillard having patience with bringing along Simons and Trent and the turnovers and the missed plays and the missed defense? And they're just going to end up pulling their hair out.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, not going to happen.
0: I wasn't thinking of them so much, actually, as Collins, um, because he's somebody who... It lately, you know, since Cantor and we haven't talked really since uh, we haven't talked to you since Cantor was added to the lineup. So since Cantor has been added to the lineup, Collins has been in, uh, in in a much more irregular pattern. And like the other night, it was just kind of like, we don't know what to do about Julius Randall. Let's throw in Collins, you know? So I was wondering if maybe he might have more opportunities or the it might become a more regular. Although I do have to say, I like how they use him sporadically because I think teams don't know what to expect. And if he's not there all the time, they maybe don't plan so much for him. And then when they do throw him in, he like creates chaos. And you know how much I like chaos.
1: Yes, you love chaos. But they might use Collins, but I don't think the CJ situation changes how they use him. If they were going to use him, or if the opportunity arises, they'll use him just like they would have. But he doesn't bring that much. Uh, he brings de- he brings better defense, but they're not going to win with the... They don't have enough of a defensive wall to make that make a difference, unless they can do what they did with Randall, saying, hey, go get that guy because that guy's our problem, and, and you're on him. Uh, also, he doesn't bring a lot of reliable offense and they're going to need every drop of offense they can get. So they're not going to, I don't think systemically move him in there, but they will use him where they would have used him before, which is we need a little defense. We need to, uh, we need to get somebody's in foul trouble. We need some spot minutes. Here you go, Zach, go and go hard.
0: I, I I am curious how you think um, Cantor is fitting into the rotation.
1: Well, I, I mean, I like it because he, he gives them more of a reliable post game and they've run more big man sets now. And it's funny to watch him because he's also a little slow on offense like Nurkic is, but his feels more like inexorable, like deliberate. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to back down. He's going to have good footwork and he's going to complete the shot. So you can see the guards give him the ball and then everybody kind of relaxes like, okay, he's got that. He's got this, that, this play. So, I like that aspect of it. I love his offensive rebounding because it continues the theme that Nurkic had. And this is the brilliance of Cantor in particular, and one of the reasons I thought he might be a target if he came off the waiver wire, because he can duplicate a lot of the things Nurkic does. So now you can run that style of play for much closer to 48 minutes instead of the 27 or 32 or whatever that Nurk was going to give you on a given night, which is a huge benefit Benefit to the Blazers, because now those guards who can shoot three-pointers that you got for the bench can now play off of someone who is a threat, and the defense is more spread out both directions. They have to respect inside and outside, so that makes everything better. The problem with Cantor, of course, is his defense is not good, and this is going to show up more in the playoffs. However, the huge advantage of having Cantor on that second unit is he's not going to be going up against a primary premium scorer, probably, or at least not for all of his minutes. So now his offensive rebounding and his scoring starts to make an outsized difference if his opposing counterpart or the team who's up against him can't score freely. So he's a great second unit guy. Uh, He'd be problematic as a starter, but I love him in the role he's in.
0: I keep thinking that his defense isn't that bad, as bad as I was expecting it to be. Do you think that is because of the competition that he, you know, the guys that he is paired up with, or do you think his lapses on defense were somewhat oversold?
1: Well, there's, there's two aspects to it. First of all, Portland's second unit guys are fairly quick now, and that didn't used to be true. They used to be big and not quick. So they can move laterally out to perimeter shooters, which takes some of the pressure off of him. Uh, When's the last time you saw Cantor come out of the lane and recover or have to? that's that's a big bonus. If he doesn't have to move laterally and he doesn't have to move far, he looks a lot better. And that's the way they've been able to use him because, again, those perimeter players for the Blazers are a little bit quicker than they used to be. That said that will likely change when you get into the playoffs because opponents will be in the business of making him move. Playoff basketball is still a lot matchup basketball. And even if it's not a direct matchup, even if the opponent doesn't have a second unit center that can score on him directly, they're going to try to throw him in all kinds of pick and rolls. They're going to put pressure on one side of the court and try to make Portland center go over there. And at the point that Cantor has to move laterally, his defensive lapses are going to Get exposed.
0: So, with Cantor, is it a matter of like if he finds himself having to switch, that's when they get in trouble because he has to move
1: over faster than he really can? It's not just switching, but if they pull him out, I mean, obviously switching is, yes, that's a bad idea. In fact, it's such a bad idea that the Blazers don't do it much, right? Nor, I, I'm trying to recall if Cantor has been in a switching defense ever in since he became established in the league. And uh, to the extent he has, I bet it didn't work real well. But it's not just that. Whether you switch or not, If he still has to come out near the three-point arc in order to cover a legitimate pick-and-roll threat, he's going to have problems recovering. That can take two forms. Number one, you might give up the layup because he didn't get back, or you might give up the three-pointer because he wasn't able to step out far enough. The second problem, though, is that you take away his rebounding potential because he doesn't get back to the bucket quick enough. And even if they missed a shot, maybe they get the offensive rebound, which is just as destructive to the Blazers. So look, this is probably not going to be a problem because Nurk will play bigger minutes. But to the extent that Cantor has to go against first units. If Nurkic gets in foul trouble or if they have Energizer bunnies at the point guard and center and they're able to run pick and roll all night long, then you're going to see Cantor's utility limited.
0: Okay. Well, the Blazers have 13 games left. They are 42 and 27. And looking ahead at their schedule... We know is going to be out one week, so this week they've got Indiana, Dallas, and Detroit. So that's one week, and then they're going to reevaluate him. And if he misses two weeks, he'll miss the games against Brooklyn, Chicago, Atlanta, Detroit. Some of those teams are doing pretty darn good right now, and some of those teams are, let's say, not. <laughs> but as far as the schedule goes, oh, then after that there's uh, Minnesota and Memphis, so, as far as the, you know, there's never an opportune time for this to happen, but it could be a lot worse, I guess, is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got some weaker teams there, especially on that road trip. And you might look at Wednesday, April 3rd. That's their first home game after the four game road trip. If CJ can't come back to face Brooklyn, might they just sit him mm-hmm. for the four game trip between the 27th and the first, which actually isn't a lot of days one, two, three, four. What's that? Five, six days. Give him the extra week of rest. You don't want him playing four times in six nights on a sore knee. So you you let him go and bring him back against Memphis, perhaps you even if he's back, the game against Atlanta might be tough. Uh, you expect to beat Chicago no matter what. Detroit, eh, it depends on which Detroit team shows up. Minnesota, they eh, should be able to beat them. So look, I don't see CJ making a huge difference in any of these games. Obviously, it makes a difference in every game he plays. But it's not like the, the games you go, if CJ plays, we win. If he doesn't, we lose. That game doesn't exist on this trip. So I think probably the safe thing, depending on his level of injury, is just let him go until Memphis, the home game on April 3rd. And if he can come back then, you call it good. In the meantime, you got eight games. Uh, Indiana, you don't know. Dallas, you expect to beat. Detroit, you at least split with. Brooklyn Nets is Blazers' edge night, so they're going to win that one. (laughs) So that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, you know, five victories in eight games you can probably be reasonably sure of. That's good enough. Uh, The Blazers now are, what, uh, fourth in the West? Mm -hmm. That looks better than it is because they're at 27 losses. Oklahoma City has 28, Spurs 29, Jazz 29, Clippers 30. So they're only three losses out of the eight spot. But look, five and three, if they can manage that without CJ, will keep them somewhere in that four, five, six, seven range probably. That's exactly what you want. Got a couple tough games against the Nuggets uh, towards the end of the season. Then you got the Lakers in L.A. who might be tanking. Uh, and you got the Kings, which is actually, I'm scared of that game because they're young. they probably be out of the playoffs at that point, but they're going to want to end the season on a good note. So Sacramento actually worries me. But even then, you know, split with Denver, beat L.A., who knows what happens with the Kings. You probably still don't fall to eighth no matter what happens. So you're good.
0: So how many wins do you think is going to be you know, to get in or to get that eighth spot.
1: Well, I mean, it depends on what the other teams do, but we just said five and three in the eight without CJ and you win one, two, three, and two. So that would be what? Eight and five. uh, If all goes well. And I don't think that's, they
0: can still come up with 50 wins.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation, even with CJ injured, given the level of opponent. Uh, that's splitting against the good teams they play twice and uh, winning the games they should, basically, and losing the games that they probably should lose. So that's eight and five. That would be 50 wins. That's got to be good enough for uh, at least seventh. Right now, your seventh place and eighth place teams both have 40 wins. So they would need to go, what, they need 11 wins in 13 games. That would be a lot. So I, I think the Blazers could be comfortable with that.
0: I know that this is a, a silly question. Definitely the Golden State is not who they want to see, except for they keep beating Golden State.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know no. it's
0: fool's gold, but it's so shiny. It's such shiny gold there just for the taking. <sighs>
1: yeah. That you're going to take that into the Golden State pawn shop, and they're going to laugh at you. So, no, you, you stay away from, you know, look, if you can get in six, seven, you avoid the Warriors uh, until the conference finals. That's great, actually. Six, and if you're going to be five, you might want to be six or seven. Because, by the way, I think the Blazers match up with the Nuggets okay, uh, I think that I don't think that's an automatic win for Denver, even if Denver has home court advantage. I don't think it'd be easy for the Blazers either, but no one will be. A lot of these series are coin flips. I think Denver is, if not a coin flip, at least close enough to one that the Blazers can say, we we could pull an upset on the road here. So seven's okay. Uh, Houston, flip a coin. Uh, Utah, flip a coin, although Utah probably won't they, I guess it could go four or five blazers in Utah. Oklahoma City's been a bad matchup all year. That's the anti-fools gold, right? That's the Fool's doggy do or whatever it is. So you want to stay away from the thunder but but look if they're if things are like they are now, Golden State one, Denver two, Houston three. If the blazers fall to sixth and Oklahoma City and San Antonio pass them or Utah passes them. Now look who's who's the opponents? you got Denver? you got Houston, and you've got uh, either Utah or San Antonio. I think that's about as good as you could hope for on your side of the bracket. There's there's a chance that the Blazers make the conference finals against that roster of opponents. If they can avoid the Thunder and avoid the Warriors, I think probably you like that.
0: I just – the Denver – so there's one thing that doesn't scare me about Denver is their lack of playoff experience, and I I mean – Yeah, there's that. But the thing that does scare me is the elevation. That's a lot of games to have to go play at elevation.
1: Sure, but Denver scares you the way going to a slightly sketchy sushi place scares you. I mean, this is probably not going to be good. You may get a stomachache from this, but it's still sushi and some good things could happen. Golden State scares you the way driving off a cliff with a truck scares you. This is is not going to end well. It's just a matter of how long the descent will be before it's over. So, (sighs) You absolutely get in that uh, get in Denver side of the bracket if you can do it, and I think there's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, I guess I mean, given the choice, I guess Denver would be the better choice over Golden State but because you- I've been saying all season that I think that Denver is not going to be that hard of an opponent in the uh, in the playoffs for someone else. I was always assuming someone else was going to have to play them. I didn't necessarily think the Blazers were going to be playing them, but when I look at it with the Blazers playing them then it gets uh
1: then it gets scarier. But, I'm but you, can't avoid, you can't avoid you can't avoid both though. And of the two, you take Denver. And look, I don't I think if there is a year that the Warriors are gonna not make it, this might be the year. I just don't think it's Portland that beats them. I mean, they've had Portland's number during the postseason. They understand how Portland plays. Kevin Durant is a handful. Uh and look, Paul. Uh, George is the other one, and they're both about equally as bad. And it's no accident that those teams are the nightmare teams for Portland. So, look, you avoid that high-scoring, great all-world small forward or power forward, and instead you take teams with good guards, um, you take teams who you might w- match up well against et cetera, and you say, I'll take my chances.
0: Hmm. Well, we should start wrapping it up here. With uh with CJ out, do you have any final parting words of wisdom to Blazer fans on how we might um wait out these next few weeks as we're waiting for CJ to return?
1: Yeah, don't fall into eighth. I mean, look, if you're gonna plummet, plummet into the lottery and then win the Zion. I mean, that's that would be there's your fairy tale. At least that's a possibility if you drop all the way out. If you're in seventh or above, you've got a fighting chance. So take that. That would be my first preference or fall all the way out. Just don't get the eighth seed. That would be the only disaster. And it's like this is for Blazer fans. This will be like Wheel of Fortune and watching that go around and watching that bankrupt little slot come around and going, no, 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 no. And of course, the more you watch it, the more it's going to happen. But literally, that's the only thing that can go completely wrong here. So don't do that. Anything else be satisfied with.
0: And how about emotionally? How are we going to cope with not
1: having CJ when uh... (laughs) – Oh, please. I mean, come on. This is like this, like a knee tweak for your shooting guard who's going to be back in a couple weeks, probably. That's the worst you've ever coped with. I mean, how long have you been a Blazers fan? You got to toughen up, Buttercup. I don't mean you, but them, you know, there got to be some calluses there somewhere. There's got to be some Sam Bowie, Greg Oden, Wes Matthews. And by the way, Wes Matthews comparison is not apt. I mean, look, if this ends up affecting the whole rest of CJ's career, yeah, we can talk about that then. But they're in a completely different situation than they were. They're they're not coming up against a uh, end of their superstars contract this summer. Uh, also, they've got people better suited for their system than Aaron Aflalo was. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the players they have now are better than a Flalo was. I'm just saying that there was a radical change when you put a in instead of uh, Wes Matthews. So that's not comparable. Also, the Blazers didn't give up Diddley Squat for getting these players. So it's not like you gave up Will Barton and a first round pick to take the shot and now it's gone. So look, you you put that ghost out of your mind. It doesn't matter. It's a different situation. Unless they get the eighth seed, the Blazers are going to be all right no matter what. So just ride it out. Enjoy it. Don't overestimate either. This is the thing. Yes, the Blazers are in fourth right now, but really they've been flirting with fifth or sixth. That's about where they were going to end up. It's not like they had a magical number one seed waiting for them and then cj went down they're in fourth right now they probably end up somewhere between fourth and seventh that's where they were going to be anyway really as far as injuries go this is as little impact as as an injury to a major player can possibly have so just relax exhale it's gonna probably be okay
0: It's going to probably be okay.
1: Well, you never know. I mean, come on. I mean, (laughs) we'll get news that, oh, no, CJ can't play for the rest of the year or something, and then we'll have to eat our words. But there's no indication of that now. So don't borrow tomorrow's trouble today. Just go out and win against some teams you can beat, and it'll be all right.
0: I I was looking for something like you know, the silver lining is that all these other players can continue to work on what their role is and what they're going to be doing here with the Blazers because some of them have just gotten here. Some of them have just started to get these minutes so they can, you know learn their role better, figure out some, um, some ways that they're going to play with each other. And then when CJ comes back, they can just work him right back in. So I was kind of looking at the silver lining
1: aspect angle. I I did say that earlier that they need to practice for the playoffs, but that argument would have more force if they weren't all going to be gone in July. The Blazers are keeping basically none of them. So look, this is, this was a, a free ticket anyway. So, Hey, uh, Get them some more minutes. They're not going to have long-term impact no matter what. Uh, Let them play their hearts out. Enjoy them get CJ back in bump, whoever you need to bump. By the way, there's no controversy when CJ comes back, that CJ spot, he gets all the shots he wants make or miss Uh Rodney hood. has to go back to his old role role. That's the way it is. Like there's literally nothing. There's n- nothing that this affects other than losing CJ for the games and maybe taking another loss or two. I don't know, but there, there's nothing big picture that this matters to other than the Blazers need to get CJ back healthy as, as again as far as an injury goes what else do you want if you have to have one and it's to a major player that's actually a pretty good outcome
0: knock on wood (laughs) well thank you so much for joining me tonight dave i really appreciate i'm sure dan does too uh getting and be able to take a night off and rest his voice really glad that uh you could come and join me in his place would you like to tell people like what you're up to and how they can find your work
1: Oh, I'm always up to something. Uh, obviously, Blazer's Edge, you can find all of our work there uh, at Dave Deckard on Twitter. Uh, we've got our new Geek and Greek podcast, which has nothing to do with basketball. It's more of my day job, church work. It's geekandgreek.com. We're just starting out with that. We're about a dozen episodes in, but that's a lot of fun. If you like, you know, churchy, bible stuff, stuff, uh, you can check that out. It wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. And, uh, you know, you can always find me around. Blazer's Edge Night, come say hello. That's going to be next monday the 25th we will be in town along with 2200 and actually 37 or maybe 45 uh screaming kids 2245 i think was final number which is a lot so all the kids you see around the arena that night wave at them and you know thumbs up to them because they're enjoying their first game many of them and um, it'll be a great time it's gonna
0: be a fun night and you'll be in town for it right
1: i absolutely will we'll be up in the blazer's edge section we'll probably publish where that is so if you want to come say hello to terror me or whoever your fave is they might be there so you can come up and, and see us awesome
0: well thanks again for joining me tonight uh dave if anybody wants to find me if they haven't found me yet i am at tcb biggs on twitter Uh, I also have, you can find my uh, work on the Hoops and Talks podcast. We have our own Twitter feed, at Hoops and Talks. Our Hoops and Talks podcast come out on Thursday. So thanks to everybody for listening tonight, and we will catch you later.